Our passage tonight is one of the saddest ones in the Bible, and I want you to think about this as you hear Job in Job chapter 30, and I want you to ask yourself if you've ever felt like Job, because Job felt like God wasn't answering his prayers. And tonight we're going to look at four things about that, about, God, why don't you answer my prayers? It's a question that I, as a pastor, over the years I've been a pastor, I've been a pastor 47 years now, and over all those years, so often one of the biggest questions people ask is, why doesn't God answer my prayers? We know he answers other people's prayers, but sometimes it feels like he doesn't answer our prayers. And listen to what Job said after all the suffering he had been through. He had lost his children, 10 children. Of course, we can understand why he wondered what God was doing. He lost all of his wealth, his business, and all of his animals, and all of his servants, except for a couple that reported it to him. He lost his health. He had sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, the Bible says. He was in terrible pain. But now listen to this, and sometimes our pain isn't physical, our pain is in our hearts. But listen to what Job says here in Job chapter 30. And it begins at verse 16, and he says these words from the depths of his heart. He says, And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud and I am reduced to dust and ashes. And notice the beginning of verse 20. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me down to death, to the place appointed for all the living, but surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has not my soul grieved for the poor? And yet, when I hoped for good, evil came. And when I looked for light, there came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and I cry for help. I have become a brother of jackals, companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My lyre is tuned to mourning and my pipe to the sound of wailing. It's with those words of Job that we end the reading of God's word. But notice especially verse 20, I cry to you, God, but you do not answer. As you listen tonight, I'm going to have four different points tonight. There may be somebody you know that's going through a difficult time and is asking these questions, maybe asking you. So you might want to jot something down on your bulletin about what God says to us tonight and share it with somebody else that's suffering. But we ask this question, probably all of us have asked it at some time, why is it that other people get the answers to their prayers, but I don't? And we ask that in times, of course, when we're suffering, or times when we thought we knew what God would want us to do, and it's not because we don't believe in God, it's because we do believe him, that 
We don't understand when he's a loving God. Our heart is in the right place. We just want to do what he wants us to do. But then why is it that he doesn't answer prayers for us? For example, let's say that you uh, have the idea that uh, you want to buy another house and you want to move to a different place. And then one becomes available and you put some... uh, inquiries in for that house and then you feel like it's the right place at the right time for you and then you want to know if that offer is accepted and you thought this was just exactly what God wanted you prayed about it and then the answer comes back that someone else got the house and you think why did I get the answer no well other people when they've prayed about where they should live and they've prayed about it earnestly too and they get the answer yes. It doesn't make sense to us. Or you have a son who plays football really well and he's been wanting to play all through high school and did a fantastic job. He's a star on the team. His name is in the paper and then he wants a scholarship and you're hoping he'll get a scholarship for college and he has a certain college he wants to get a scholarship from and It sounds like when he talks to them, he probably will, and then the time comes, and he's prayed about it. He he follows your example, your your son, and you've been praying, and the scholarship doesn't come through. And you think, why, Lord? Why is it when we pray, you don't answer our prayers? You don't answer when we call upon you. Sometimes we feel like Job here in verse 20, I cry to you, God, but you do not answer. Well, I want to begin by saying that there are, I know, three ways that God answers prayers. And God has a choice, and he can answer in three different ways, basically. And you probably remember what they are. The first is that God can say yes. And sometimes when we get a no from God, God answers all of our prayers, but one way or another. But when he doesn't say yes, that's when questions come. But, you know, sometimes we forget that the majority of our prayers, God does say yes to us. He's not always saying no to us. For example, when uh, we go to work in the morning or we put our children on the bus and they come to school and then they come home safely, we, we, we realize that when we pray for them as we put them on the bus and then we get home and they get home safely and we get home from work safely, it's time to thank God that we had a safe trip. I come from Orland Park up here to Elmhurst when I work at Park Place And believe me, when I go on 83, Kingery, I pray that I come home safely. Sometimes the traffic is terrible and the way people go today. And you know, every night when Carol and I sit down for supper, I thank the Lord for safety on the roads today. He says yes so often. We pray for something in the morning and he answers our prayer, but then we forget. He's often saying yes to us. In fact, the Bible says that God says in Jeremiah 33, call on me and I will answer you. And he tells us, ask and it shall be given. And you know what it says, seek. Sometimes we have to keep praying more. Seek and you will find. And sometimes we have to pray even more. Knock and the door will be open to you. But so often, God's answer to your question and your prayer is yes. So don't say that he always doesn't answer your prayers. Of course, there's a second choice that God has. And sometimes, as you know, God says, wait. And he doesn't give you what you've asked for right away. God has his own timing. And sometimes that's hard for us. And it feels like God isn't answering our prayer. But 
God knows exactly what time is best. I think of Abraham when God promised him when he was 75 years old, you will have a son and your descendants will be like the sand of the seashore and you will be blessed with a son and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through that son. And it was 25 years before God gave that son Isaac, the son of the promise. 25 years of waiting. And some of you know what that's like to wait and to wait for God's answers. But God does, but sometimes he doesn't answer with a yes right away. His answer is wait. This isn't the right time. And then, of course, there are three ways that God can answer our prayers. Yes, wait, or of course, the third one is no. That's the hard one. Sometimes God says no to us. And it's not like we prayed wrong or we wanted the wrong thing or that it was bad that we prayed. I think of David when David wanted to build a temple for God. He said, here I am in this beautiful palace. And look, there's no place for the ark of God. We've got to build a temple for the ark of God. And you know what God said to David? No, you're not going to do it. You're never going to do it. Your son Solomon is going to do it, but you will not build that ark. Now, was David wrong to think that he wanted God's ark to be in a temple? No, but God says no sometimes. And we're going to ask why in a moment, why? and see what the answer is. Or I think of poor Moses. I feel so sorry for Moses, because here he is leading the people of God to the promised land for 40 years. And you know, so often when Moses was leading them, they were uh, rebelling against him. At one point, they wanted to stone him. They were so angry with him. And poor Moses, 40 years, he didn't even want to do the job, but God said, you have to do it. And after 40 years, as they're just about to go into the promised land, God says to Moses, no, you're not going to go with. You're not going to go into that promised land. And so Moses could not go in. So sometimes God's answer is no. Now my second point tonight is this. Why? There are three reasons, I believe, that God may say no to us. And I think we should really think about these. The first one is this. God says no because God sees a bigger picture than you see and I see. You know, we forget this. And I want you to think about this tonight because it's just so amazing what the Bible tells us. God is the God who the Bible says in Hebrews 4, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. He sees the bigger picture that we can't possibly see. And God even sees into the future that we cannot see. And so sometimes we pray, but we pray out of our limited knowledge. But God can see the consequences of if he says yes to us. Or if he says wait, or if he says no. But he can see the consequences. And sometimes God is sparing us from consequences we would have if he said yes, that wouldn't be good for us. But here's the thing that I want you to really think of. Don't you realize that we are limited by time, and we are limited by space. But God is beyond time, and that's why he can see a bigger picture. God isn't in time. 
Jesus came into time and into this world when he lived for us and died, but that's the only time that the second person of the Trinity was limited in time and space. Throughout all eternity, God is bigger than this whole universe, and God is not limited by time. What does the Bible say? For God, a thousand years is like one day, and one day is like a thousand years. Now, we can't imagine what it's like to be God, but you see, for God, the past, the present, the future, God can see it all at the same time. We can't, and we're limited by space. So we can't see the consequences that God can see beyond space when he would answer yes to what we ask of him. You know, we're limited in space, but God is our heavenly father that is not limited by time and space at all. So the Bible explains to us that God sees a much bigger picture. In fact, he sees the whole picture, past, present, and future at the same time. Uh, Carol and I have two of our children that are living in Denver now, and we have four grandsons that live there. And we are separated from our family by time, but also by space. We, we aren't there. We don't see what happens in their lives. We don't see what happens day to day. But God is the Father that is beyond all those limits. And so remember the first reason that God so many times says no is because he sees the bigger picture that you don't see. You pray as well as you can. You pray earnestly to him, but you don't see the consequences of if he would say yes to your request. The second thing that we have to remember is that God also not only sees a bigger picture, but God says no to us because God has a better plan than what our plan is. Now, that's hard for us, too, because we think, well, God, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what my children should have from you now. And, you know, just listen to me. I know what's best. I want you to do this because it's the right thing for you to do for me. And so, God, just answer my prayer, yes, and everything will turn out fine. But what we don't realize is that the Bible says in Isaiah that God's plans are higher than our plans. His ways are higher than ours. We want to say to God, do this, do it right now for me, and do it this way because I feel that's right and I've prayed about it now to you, so you better do it. But God says, you don't always know what's best for yourself. I have a better plan. I think of Paul in the New Testament. Paul wanted to go to Rome. It was his dream, the Bible tells us to go to Rome to preach the gospel in Rome. He was so passionate after he became a Christian and his desire to go to Rome, that wasn't an awful thing. That wasn't a bad thing to do for God, to go to Rome and try to go there to convert hundreds and maybe even thousands of people to Jesus. What a wonderful dream. And I'm sure he prayed about it, that he could go to Rome to preach there the gospel of Jesus Christ to the heart of the Roman Empire. But you know what? He got to Rome. But it didn't turn out the way he wanted it or what he thought was best for him to serve God in the best way. He wanted to do the best thing for God. You know what? He went there in chains, the Bible says. He was a prisoner when he was there. He was shackled. He wrote, and that's the thing that we don't realize. God had a better plan for him. 
And the better plan is that when he went to Rome, he was able to write the, 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 the scriptures that we have today. Because he was in prison, we have his letters from prison. And because of those letters, see, God had a better plan. He didn't just reach a few hundred people or maybe a thousand people for Jesus, but there have literally been millions of people who have come to Jesus through the writings of Paul when he was in chains. He never preached there that we know of. The Bible never says he preached the gospel there. He spoke to people when he was in chains. He spoke to his guards, but he also wrote parts of the scriptures. You see how that works? God has a bigger picture that he sees, and then because of that, he has a better plan for us than the plan that we thought God should just simply do because we thought it was the best plan for our lives. Paul learned that. And there are others who have learned that too, that God has a better plan. Now, I'm not a country music uh, buff. I, I don't listen to it much, but there's one song that Garth Brooks once wrote that just resonates with me from what we're talking about tonight. And he says it in such an amazing way. He talks about when he went to a football game and he saw his girlfriend from high school who he wanted to marry. And this is what he says in this song. Just the other night at a hometown football game, my wife and I ran into my old high school flame. And as I introduced them, the past came back to me and I couldn't help but think of the way things used to be. My old flame was the one that I'd wanted for all time. And each night, I'd spend night praying that God would make her mine. And if only he'd grant me this one wish I wished back then, I'd never ask him for anything again. But sometimes now I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Because this is what he says. Now, she wasn't, I learned she wasn't quite the angel that I remembered in my dreams. And I could tell that time had changed me. And in her eyes, too, it seemed, we tried to talk about the old days, but there wasn't much we could recall. I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. And as she walked away and I looked at my wife, then and there, I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember that just because he may not answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts, all too often God's greatest gifts, are unanswered prayers. You see, at the time, we think, I know what's best, God. You, you have to do it this way. And you have to do it my way. And you have to do it the way that gives me the least pain or my family the least pain. But sometimes God sees the bigger picture and he also has a better plan for us. And then the third reason, the third reason that God sometimes says no is that he has a greater purpose for us, a purpose we can't imagine at the time. Sometimes God's purpose is so much greater that we, we really just simply 
Couldn't imagine it at the time. I think of when, in John chapter 11, Mary and Martha begged Jesus to come to their house because their brother Lazarus is very ill. He's dying, and they can see it. So they send a messenger to Jesus, and there's plenty of time for Jesus to come. And they know that Jesus can heal anyone. And so they say, Jesus, please come. Lazarus, your friend is dying. No, it wasn't bad for them to call on Jesus, in a sense, to pray to him, to ask him to come. It wasn't an awful thing they did. They didn't do the wrong thing. But Jesus purposely waited. And Lazarus died. And he was in the grave. Now, try to imagine the scene. He was in the grave for four days. And in that day, people would mourn for a whole week together with their loved ones. Some traditions still do that. They, they were in a time of mourning, and sometimes they would wail, and they would cry together. And then what happens after four days, Jesus comes. And if you read John 11, you see that Martha just lays into Jesus. Why didn't you come? I mean, I'm shocked at how she treated our Savior. Why didn't you come? You could have healed him. Why didn't you come? We trusted you. He was your friend. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And she says, I know that. Why didn't you come? But then you see, Jesus had a greater purpose in letting him die than she could imagine. Because Jesus goes with them to the grave and he tells them to roll the stone away. And then if you can imagine, this is the greatest miracle Jesus did with any individual. Because remember, he had been dead for four days. And Jesus just says to Lazarus in the grave, come out. And then can you imagine as Lazarus in his grave clothes somehow walks out of that grave and what all these people thought as Jesus had such a greater purpose, the miracle of all miracles that he did, that he raised the man from death, dead for four days. And do you know that this is the thing? If you look at your scriptures in John 11, this is what precipitated Jesus going to the cross. The Pharisees and the leaders of the religious leaders, this was it. This is when they decided he must die. Jesus must die. He's dangerous here. But many, the Bible says, believed because of the resurrection of Lazarus. So you see here again, Jesus did not come first. His answer was, no, I'm not going to heal him. But then Jesus does a greater purpose, a greater miracle of all. And I think another good example of this, though, is how God has a greater purpose than what we're praying is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's on his knees and he's praying with all of his being and his human nature, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus said, if there's any other way to bring salvation, please, he knew, he knew, remember, God can see the past, the present, the future, he knew how much that wrath of God and the sins would be placed upon him and how awful the death would be, not just physically, but in his spirit there in the garden. The Bible says he was in agony and you remember that his sweat 
became like drops of blood. I mean, that's how sincerely Jesus was praying to the Father. In his human nature, he said, please, if it is possible, yet not my will but yours be done. And you know the Father's answer. The answer was no. No. There's no other way. You must go through this. And he had to accept it because of the greater purpose of dying on the cross for us. Sometimes in our lives, we have to accept God's no. And the fact that sometimes he says no because he has a greater purpose. He sees a bigger picture. And he says, I have a better plan than you can even imagine. Now when we say this tonight and we look at poor Job here in Job 30, we wonder, what do we do? What do we do? And I would say that as we hear these things about what God says to us, I believe that we have to remember two things specifically when God says no. And the first thing we have to remember, and this is so important, is that everything God does, everything he does, and this is my third point, that there are two things we must remember when God says no. The first is this, everything God does, he does out of love. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it doesn't feel like he loves us at all because he says no or he says wait. Sometimes we don't understand it at all because our understanding is so limited. We only see what's right in front of us. But God does everything out of love. He's not the God that created sin. He's not the God that sits in heaven and says, now I want to make your life miserable. No, he's the God of love, infinite love. We sang those songs about love during the offertory. And he's always and will always be the God who has absolute love for us. In fact, in Romans 8, it says, all things work out together for good to those who love God. And it says that there is nothing that can separate us from his love. So we have to remember that God does these things out of love, not out of evil, not out of anger at us, but he does it because he loves us and he sees a bigger picture and he has a greater purpose as he's preparing us to come to our home in heaven. He gives us opportunities to rest in him. But sometimes we don't see that. You know, it's sort of like as children, when you're growing up, you don't always see that what your mother or father does is done out of love. And sometimes painful things happen in our life and we say, now why did that happen? And why did my mother or father allow that to happen? I remember when I was growing up in Hudsonville, Michigan, my dad's first church was in Hudsonville. He, we went there when I was a year old. And um, when we were five years old, my twin brother Harold and I, Harold had a bright idea. Uh, it's his fault, by the way. <clears throat> Harold said to me and to our friend across the street, we were in kindergarten, and he said to me and Tommy, Tommy Vanderbunny, he said, let's go. Let's go to the railroad tracks about two blocks away from our house. And you know, when you're in Hudsonville, Michigan, and at night, one of my brothers, <clears throat> another brother still lives in Hudsonville, and when I stayed at his house not so long ago, I could hear the trains at night, and I used to love to hear the trains going back and forth. And so we were fascinated by trains, so Harold's idea, of course, I'll go along with this, 
And so I did and Tommy did and we marched down and we walked down by where the railroad tracks are. But we went over by the tracks and then as we were there, he went up right by the tracks with our friend Tommy. I stayed behind. I was kind of shy. I didn't go as close. Now that's important to remember for this story too. But some lady from our church whose house backed up to the railroad tracks saw two boys, same clothes on. We were dressed exactly alike till we were 10, till we came to Cicero. So there's those twins, those Erfmeyer twins, Harold and Gerald. So what does she do? She calls my mom and dad. Your twins and Tommy Vandebunny are at the railroad tracks. What did they do? They came immediately. They brought us home. Tommy went home across the street, and what happened to Harold and I? We got the worst spanking of our life on our bare bottoms, and I can still remember it like it was yesterday. And it wasn't fair because I wasn't as close to the railroad tracks, and it was his idea, but that's, that's another sermon. But here's the point. You know, sometimes parents will do things, and it hurts, and we don't understand. Of course, when they spank you and they say, this hurts me more than you, we don't always believe that. But they're saying, I'm doing this out of love. And my parents did that. I never went back to the railroad tracks again. They were so afraid that as us little kids were close to the tracks, what could happen if you got right beside the train? You get sucked up in it as it goes by. And so they did it out of love. God does everything, everything he does. Remember, he's a loving God. And then here's another thing to remember. God says he will always give us grace. He'll always give us grace. That's the second thing, when he says no. In fact, Paul learned that. Paul prayed to God. He said, Lord, if it take away this thorn in my flesh, we don't know what it was, please take it away. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And then finally God said to him, my grace is sufficient for, for in your weakness, in your weakness you can find the strength of the Lord. So God said no to him. And Paul didn't understand that and he had to live with his thorn in the flesh and you may have to live in your, with your thorn in the flesh too. But remember God says, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness you can boast in the strength of the Lord. Now, my final point tonight, the fourth one, is this. How do you respond? How do you respond when God says no to you? You know, you have choices. You have choices. God didn't make us into robots, and God didn't make us so that we automatically respond one way and we have to. No, as believers in the true God, one who loved him and one who believes he's our wonderful Father in heaven who loves us, but when he says no, what do you do? One of the things you have a choice to do is to resist him. To resist God is what many people do. And they get upset, and then they resist God. When God says no, or God says, wait, I think of Abraham and Sarah. They waited, and they waited for the son of the promise. And finally, they, Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah, is the one who David had another son with, thinking, I will... I'll take things into my own, and I'll do it myself. And you know the horrible history from what Abraham did as Ishmael and the people of the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac have fought all through history. 
but he resisted what God said. He, he wouldn't just simply trust the Lord at that time. But we can do that. You can do that. You can resist God. And another thing that people do, a second thing is they can resent it and become bitter people. Some people do that. When God doesn't answer yes, when he answers no, you can choose to be angry with God. In fact, some people say, I've had it with prayer. I don't pray anymore because it doesn't do any good because God says no to me. And they get bitter, bitter, bitter with God. I remember in one of the churches I served, there was a pastor's wife. Her husband had died. And after he died, she became one of the most bitter people I've ever seen in my life. The rest of her life, she was just bitter with God. And no matter what you said to her, no matter how much you tried to empathize with her pain, her husband had died. She just became bitter. That was her choice. And nothing you could say would ever change it. How sad. So you can resist God. You can take things into your own hand. You can become bitter with God. You can resent him. But what God wants you to do, and here's your choice, you can receive his grace for those times when God says no. And you can rejoice that he will carry you through. He truly will carry you through. Remember that illustration of the man who was walking uh, look back at the scenes of his life and he says, I saw myself walking on the sands and there was always the Lord walking with me throughout all my life. But when I look back at the scenes of my life and I saw the most difficult times, there was only one set of footprints in the sand. And so I said to God, Lord, you were with me all the time except for when I needed you the most. When I needed you the most, why did you leave me? There were only two, one set. There was only one set of footprints in the sand. And then I love the way that poem ends. My precious, precious child. In those times when you needed me the most, it was then. I would never leave you. It was then that I carried you. And that's what he does. He carries us through and he brings us home. Let's bow in prayer and pray again. Lord, thank you that sometimes your greatest gifts to us are unanswered prayers, or the prayers when you say no to us. And Lord, we thank you that you're not just bigger than us, but you're different than us. You can see a bigger picture than we can see. You are beyond time, beyond space. You can see the future and the present and the past all at once. And thank you that you are the God who has a better plan for us. And you are the one who has a greater purpose than we can even imagine. Lord, but we struggle when the no's come. We struggle when it seems like our friends, their prayers are answered. We ask that you will give us the grace to not resent you and to not resist you, but to receive your grace and rejoice that you will carry us through. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.